Hey there, welcome back to another episode of CupyCast. Are you hoping to learn more about unions or progressive movements? Then you're in the right spot. I'm Brittany Nisbet and I use she and her pronouns. I'm Tiffany Balducci, I use she and her pronouns, and we're reminding you that we're the only podcast of our kind, or one of the only podcasts of our kind, combining <laughs> union info, pop culture, and more. Kicking ass for the working class, one podcast at a time. Whether you're a member of QP, in a union, wish you were in a union, or just found us while browsing, you're definitely in the right place. And I'm Brianna Plummer. I go by she, her pronouns. We hinted in our last episode, but this month we'll be discussing how climate change affects everyone and what can be done about the climate crisis, the Greenbelt scandal, and so much more. You are listening to CupyCast episode 29, Climate Justice is Union Business. Wow, episode twenty-nine. That's uh, that's getting up there in age. We're uh, yeah. almost, almost not a young worker anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for laughing Aww. at that joke. Yeah, wow, twenty-nine. Aww. That's so cool. Three <laughs> O next month. All right. Well, thank you so much to Brianna and Brittany for suggesting that we talk about the climate emergency and what unions are doing about it, specifically in QP and all the stuff that's going on. Yeah, so just like all throughout the summer with the Greenbelt scandal and what's been happening with the protests and of course the wildfire smoke, like I just do deep down inside, like this is one of the issues we need to talk about before the year end. And I know Tiffany been raising the alarm about this for some time. Yeah, Tiffany, you've been a climate activist like the entire time, like since I've known you, uh, (laughs) which like. I think we've been on the board together for five years, but I think I've known you for, I've known of you for six years or so. Because uh, I knew of you before I think you probably knew me, but that's okay. <laughs> I feel famous. I feel famous. Yeah. yeah. yeah there you go. It, it was only by a year though. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just like, you should, you, so you've been a climate activist this whole time. And it's also just a reminder to folks, too, that we did cover this topic in January 2022. But so much has happened and things have changed. And so we said we would circle back again. And uh, now we're going to do it because there's so much more to talk about. Absolutely. And thanks. Thanks. Thanks for recognizing, you know, the work that that not just I've done, but like with with a lot of help from a lot of people. But this has been something that has been near and dear to me and it seems to be near and dear to many more folks than it used to be, which is great, Uh, especially with the wildfire smoke and increasing disasters. More and more folks are directly impacted uh, by the climate crisis and they're seeing the actual impacts in in the air. So now they're realizing, Mm -hmm. wow, this is impacting everyone. It's not something that I have to worry about in the future. It's like, I have to worry about this now. We all know that our planet is facing unprecedented challenges due to climate change. But, you know, here's the thing. We we can't tackle this crisis without addressing the impact it has on workers and our livelihoods. So that's why climate justice is union business. So true. The labor movement has always fought for equality, fair wages, safe working conditions, and workers' rights. So now it's time to expect that fight to include the protection of our planet. Oh, totally. And I really liked the primer that you, Tiffany, you created for the QP Ontario board. Um, So just for folks uh, to know, so it really laid out exactly how it impacts our different different committees and our sectors. Um, So Tiffany noted that climate change has been demonstrated to have both a direct and indirect impact on like a wide range of human rights, including the rights of persons with disabilities, Um, So persons with disabilities are often among those most adversely impacted in an emergency, um, sustaining disproportionately higher rates of uh, morbidity and mortality. At the same time, being among those least uh, able to access emergency support. So like I think I've talked about a few times, like I work with uh, folks who have disabilities. I work in group homes. and like if there we we do have like emergency supply kits that you know have like food and water like food that you can access that you don't mm-hmm. need to like heat up for example yeah. if you don't have like electricity yep um and water and stuff but like it's only a couple of days worth so mm-hmm. it would i i don't know what my employer's plan would be if something were to happen so for example if we took the agency I work for and put it in Nova Scotia where they have, they've been dealing with hurricanes. Um, 
or if we put it in BC where they're dealing with the wildfires. So like, I don't know what their long-term plan would be. Mm-hmm. And like, I've been there for 13 years, so I should yeah. probably know this. <laughs> well, and some organizations haven't even looked into this. And then sometimes it's just things happen so quickly. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to get too, too dark here because we don't want it to be like the most depressing no. podcast in the world. Yeah. But like in Maui, <laughs> the wildfire came on so quickly. Uh, like there's a thousand people that they still haven't found like the bodies now at this point haven't been found mm. and they just weren't able to get out in time. And so they're seeing that most of the, it was the summertime. Most of these people are over the age of 70 or under the age of child. They were children or they mm. were, they were, they had disabilities and they weren't able to get in a car and, and quickly enough and get out. So these are mm. things that are like very, very real. And uh, I don't want to be doom and gloom and research actually shows that that kind of turns people off with when you talk yeah. about the climate change. Cause as soon as they hear like, really scary stuff they just kind of shut down and it makes it hard to then empower folks to 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 kind of connect and i mean and i think you know we know this work intersects closely with the work that um QP national and, our, and the QP ontario indigenous council are working with with the water's life campaign um this is something that they've been working on a long time and another thing where um it's life or death and uh and and you know you need water to survive in many places in ontario in our indigenous communities don't have access to water. So I encourage folks to check Mm -hmm. that out. And also the work that CBTU has done with tackling environmental racism and just Mm -hmm. some, you know, the Canadian climate institution um, has, has listed, and we know this, that climate justice rests on several premises that have, you know, these obviously have, we're focusing on Canada, but this is globally as well. Um, indigenous black and racialized and marginalized communities are disproportionately exposed to and affected by climate change. We talked about that a lot in our last podcast on this issue. Um, and then the greater exposure of BIPOC communities to climate change is due to inequitable and unjust policies, including legacies and of historic and ongoing racism and colonialism and their structural determinants of health, um, which make uh, BIPOC and other marginalized communities less able to escape and survive climate disasters, as we just talked about, and less likely to have access to social, economic, and political resources and networks needed to recover from climate devastation. And climate change impacts can exacerbate economic and social inequities that already exist, further impacting people's health and wellness. Yes, yeah, so we it's definitely intersectional. Um, I'm a member of QP Ontario's Women's Committee, and there's some stats on how women and gender-oppressed individuals are impacted. So I'm just going to share some stats. It is estimated that 80% of people displaced by climate change are women, and this is according to a UN Environment article. Uh, when women are displaced, they are at greater risk of violence, including sexual violence. This is said by Michelle Bachelet, UN High Commissioner for Human Rights. Absolutely. And much more could be said about these connections. These are just little snapshots that we're given just to show how it impacts, you know, our different, um, the quality sectors that are quality committees that we recognize in, in QP Ontario. And according to the IPCC, the 2S LGBTQIA plus community are more likely to experience the greatest impacts of the climate crisis as well. Social factors like stigma, higher unemployment, and inadequate safe living spaces make certain communities more vulnerable to environmental catastrophe. These combined factors make 2S LGBTQIA plus persons much more susceptible to the harmful impacts of a warming planet and the natural disasters that come along with it. Yet, in the face of climate disasters, the 2S LGBTQIA plus community has been routinely and overtly excluded from response, relief, and recovery efforts. And we'll uh, we'll get into how it impacts health and safety a little bit later, as I've been involved in some of that work with the health and safety and injured workers committees for um, along with the climate justice committee. And if you're listening and you're thinking that you haven't been impacted by anything we've said so far, which are all of our equality groups at QP Ontario sectors are hugely impacted, too. Um, So you'll see things like infrastructure damage, air quality, supply chain, care impacts, service impacts and disruptions reduced water qualities, extreme heat, flooding, changes in the infectious agents, um, public sector, places of refuge, smoke days, just to name a few ways that sectors will see impacts in their workplaces and at the bargaining table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This also impacts our trade committees, of course, and retirees. So retirees have been at the forefront of this fight. Have any of you heard of the group SCAN? 
Uh, yeah, I have, but answer first. <laughs> I was gonna yeah. say it's. Uh, I work with them, but I'll. Uh, I won't. Uh, I won't give away the information I know since I think we're gonna get it in a second. But Brittany, have you have you heard of Scan? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Hard to pay attention to everything all yeah. the time. <laughs> There's lots of wonderful groups of humans doing lots of wonderful groups of lots of work, and I can't pay attention to it all because my poor brain. <laughs> no, totally. That's- that's okay. We are always learning, right? So mm-hmm. SCAN stands for Seniors for Climate Action Now. They are a huge contingent for QP and at the September 16th march to end fossil fuels. There were thousands of seniors across the world that participated in marches and in Toronto, um, protesters rally outside the legislature demanding immediate action to address climate change. Yeah, I, we, we had our, I think it was... You know, seniors are great and retirees are great to be able to attend events, too, if they're during times where other folks couldn't make it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't make the march on September 16th because it was um, my kid Zoe's first dance class that day. So oh, I was uh, doing that for. Yeah. So, you know, we can't make it to everything and we have to, you know, make sure that we don't feel this pressure to make it to everything. But I'm glad yeah. that our retirees are on the front lines. I found a really great quote from a protester. Um, It was on the Sierra Club website. We'll put it in our show notes. Um, So the quote was from Vivian Gonzalez, who was creating chalk art during the rally. And as a mother, I love chalk art. As a mother, she said it was important for her to be at the march for her kids. And she emphasized the intersectionality of the climate movement. And the quote is, it's really important that the various fights for humanity that are going on right now are connected that the struggle to keep trans youth safe right now is related to the larger feminist fight against patriarchy, which is related to the climate struggle and to peace work, she said. All these fights will only succeed together. We have to build the future from many sides at once. Yeah, and I think that's exactly the point that we are trying to make in this podcast. So yeah. um, there was another quote from that recap from Tama Kaplan, a retired Rutgers University history professor, and uh, they expressed that they hope that the march will help spark more ambitious action to halt carbon pollution before we're past the point of no return. So the quote said, every day we see all of these people killed because of the floods and receding land, and it's really almost too late, but we have to do what we can to save the earth. Mm-hmm. Yes. So if folks missed the September 16th march, uh, we want to let you know that there is another Global Day of Action that is scheduled for November 3rd and 4th, and this will be happening worldwide. Groups at these actions will be demanding the urgent acceleration of the transition to a renewable-powered world. This coincides with the fossil fuel companies reporting yet another quarter of exorbitant and obscene profits amid, amid the devastation impact of the climate crisis and the soaring energy prices. Yeah, I'm hoping um, that we can be involved as QP. I don't want to give away any information that might not be solidified yet, but we'll let folks know if we're uh, what the formal involvement would be. Um, I think the Toronto, if we have like the Toronto listeners, which I know we have listeners worldwide, but also all around Canada. But for Toronto listeners, I think the event's going to be November 4th and we're working on getting more information. So stay tuned. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm sort of kind of ish adjacently involved. Yes. In that. So we'll yes, see what are. happens. Adjacent. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so another thing for folks to look out for now is the QP Ontario Climate Justice Toolkit. Um, and perhaps Tiffany, you could tell us more about it. Yeah, I would love to. Um, So just briefly, uh, because I feel like I'm talking a lot during this episode, but (laughs) it's it's called Your Blueprint for a Green Union, and it's QP Ontario's Climate Justice Toolkit. Uh, And it was it's been it was created by volunteers, the the QP Ontario Climate Justice Committee. Um, And it's just all about the power to change and take action on the environment. Um, As work, so the power to change and take action on the environment and As workers, we care about the planet, jobs, and clean and livable communities. And we know that collective action in response to climate emergency can make big changes. So we're looking for folks to join the fight for the future of our planet. And we want to make it easy for them to join and begin. So we have this toolkit with a wealth of information and ideas for taking action on helping the environment and saving our planet. Um, and creating livable communities. Uh, and, you know, we the reason why the QP Ontario Climate Justice Committee exists is 
you know, in response to the climate emergency, corporate greed, Ford's reckless policies, uh, and and just an ongoing need to fight for the planet. Um, and and we need a collective approach. And one thing folks say is like, it's so big. I don't know where I can begin. Of course, I can like I can use you know a renewable like you know like a a straw like that or a paper straw or I could bring my own metal straw. And we're really not focusing on the individual. We're focusing on like what locals can do, which includes example bargaining language, health and safety committee commitments, uh, pension suggestions, equality work, um, how to set up a joint committee in your workplace, and and more just to get going in the workplace. Yeah. Thanks, Tiffany, for sharing that, the Climate climate Justice Toolkit. Um, we will definitely up, link that toolkit in our show notes, and we'll talk a little bit more about what locals can do um, closer to the end of our episode, so stay tuned. Yes, yeah. And just on some other stuff that the Climate Justice Committee has recently done, we recently co-hosted a webinar with a group called On to Ottawa, which is a nonviolent civil disobedience campaign designed to encourage the Canadian governments to take urgent and meaningful action on the climate crisis. Um, the webinar was an important reminder of the different types of civil disobedience that needs to be, you know, that needs to happen in order to make change. Right. So as we talked about in our last episode, we are going to cover so much more about the Green Belt scandal in this episode. And oh my goodness, is there so much to cover? Yeah, I mean, every week something new is coming up and even even like literally minutes before we recorded this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, we had to readjust our notes. We were like, well, we thought we had it all. And then we were wrong. <laughs> and by the time this hits the airwaves, who knows, there'll probably be more changes. Yeah, oh, for my sure. God, no. Yeah, so we're recording like probably about a week and a bit before it hits the airwaves. So there's oh, there will be more so this will already probably be outdated but we tried we tried to cover everything yeah um so there's like a, a timeline of events that we thought would be helpful because to be completely honest when you're looking at the green belt it's like like tiffany was saying like every week every day every hour something new comes up and it's so hard to be like what actually happened mm -hmm. <laughs> like how did this all start like what is going on um so uh, I found this really fantastic article from Global. Um, we're going to refer to it lots through this uh, because it's really it really has good information and it was a, a perfect timeline. So we're, we're utilizing uh, that article. We're not quoting like verbatim, but we're going to be use, using it a lot. Uh, so it'll catch us all up a nice little timeline so no one gets confused. <laughs> yes. So let's start from the top. It really began on November 4th, 2022, when Steve Clark announced that Ontario would remove 7,400 acres in 15 different areas of the Greenbelt, while adding 9,400 acres elsewhere in order to build 50,000 homes. This went against the campaign which um, Premier Doug Ford made in 2018, that um, the Conservatives will not touch the Greenbelt if elected. Yeah, so broken campaign promise. Then November Shock. 11th, yeah, shocker. <laughs> November 11th, CBC reported that developers were the ones who would profit the most from this. Mm -hmm. Again, another shock. Like, let's all prepare, like all, all of us, let's all pretend to be surprised that <laughs> someone went against a campaign promise and that their friends, or I'm sorry, I said developers wrong. Um, <laughs> we're going to be, we're going to be, the ones that benefit anyways. Um, so there was some back and forth from Clark and Ford after the CBC reported that they didn't give the developers any tip offs uh, that this would happen. Which we all know that was a lie. <laughs> we'll get off to that a bit later. So moving forward in the timeline just a little bit, January 18th, 2023, both Ontario's Integrity Commissioner and Auditor General announced that they would conduct separate investigations the one um, that the Integrity Commissioner launched was in response to the complaint that Mara Stiles, the NDP leader, um, she wanted the investigation to look into if Clark broke ethic rules around making public policy decisions to further someone's private interests. But then on February 23rd, Ford's daughter's wedding and stag and doe became extra interesting. Mm. So allegedly <laughs> several developers who are also Ford's personal friends, as noted before, um, there's, yeah, there's like a synonym there. They attended the stag and doe, which cost $150 per ticket. Lobbyists and government relations firms were also invited. 
Uh, several developers also attended the wedding. And coincidentally, some of these so-called guests benefited from the Greenbelt changes. So Mara Stiles asked the Integrity Commissioner to issue an opinion on these actions. I just want to know what a $150 per ticket stag and doe looks like. Because, like, I don't know about <laughs> you two, but the stag and does that I've been to, it's like, you know, you can buy, like, a package. And sometimes it's like, you have a $20 package, you have a $30 package, you get tickets, and there's, like, you know, you're you're putting nails into a log, and whoever can get the nail fully into the log with the less amount, and you're holding cases of beer sometimes for as long as you can, and there's, like, my personal favorite is Crown Anchor. Like, so what is what is not a $150 stag and doe? What does that look like? I don't know, but I want to go to the ones that you're at because I've never been to those ones either. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm from the States originally. We didn't, we don't have stag and doe in the States. And I, I guess no one invited me to one here in, Ontario, in Canada. I've yet well, to been to one. I'm sorry. Really? Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, we'll find one and we'll all go. Even if we don't know the people, just so that you guys can experience it because they are a lot of fun. And I, I also like, like there's a toonie toss where like for, for people who are interested, they have like a purse and you have to like throw a toonie as close to the purse from like quite a distance away. And whoever gets closest without touching wins the purse. It's a whole thing. They're fantastic. But like, that's not 150. This is, you know, you're spending like, you know, some people go with 50, $60. You spend what you have, not $150 just to, to get in. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the tickets just to get in are $10. Anyways, so back to this. Um, on March 16th, the Integrity Commissioner set aside Marit's request as there was an overlap with the current Greenbelt investigation that they were already uh, reviewing. So there's two. Uh, however, they did mention when they were reviewing, uh, they were reviewing, quote unquote, extensive material, uh, doing independent research and were preparing summonses for numerous witnesses to be interviewed. So then things were quiet over the next few months. So we did not hear a lot about this um, investigation until that fateful day on August 9th, when the Auditor General Bonnie Lissick dropped her bombshell of a report. Some quotes from the global article are, quote, all but one of the 15 sites removed from the Greenbelt were suggested not by civil servants, but by Clark's chief of staff who was given packages at an industry event by two key developers. And that developers who had access to the top staffer wound up with 92% of the land that was removed. If some of the sites did not meet the criteria for selection, such as for environmental reasons, the criterion, criterion was simply dropped rather than selecting a different site, end quote. Wow. Yeah. After this report, things really amped up and a lot happened very quickly and continues to happen quickly. So the next day, August 10th, the Integrity Commissioner stated that they were reviewing a request from Ford's office to investigate Ryan Amato, who was Steve Clark's chief of staff. Kind of rhymes. Yeah, (laughs) Clark and Chief together. That's hard. Um, So on August 14th, Ford's office said that they were working to create a working group to implement their recommendations on improving processes. I'm like, whenever I hear that you're working to create a working group, it's telling me you're not actually doing anything, but you want to pretend that you are. So that's fine. Uh, But again, I will never paint Ford as doing the right thing. So I need to mention that 14 of the 15 recommendations were being looked at. The most important one is, so the most important of the 15 recommendations is go back and reevaluate the land swaps. But Ford keeps saying, we're doing all of them. We're doing all of them, but he's, or we're uh-huh. doing all 14 of them. Uh-huh. There were 15. We wanted him, the, the 15th most important was go back and reevaluate the land swaps. So I actually found this out on TikTok myself because I didn't really, like, there was so much information. It's so hard to consume yeah. it all. So there was a TikToker, Frank Dominic. um, So he's uh, a teacher within Ontario. Um, He posted about it on August 24th. And and that's how I heard of it. And it just basically said, like, this is the most important one. Like, he's he's telling you there's 14, but there's actually 15. That's how I heard about it. Yeah, that's an important note note for sure. And there's so many great TikTokers. I don't know if we were able to work in the Climate Girl TikToks too. Oh, she's so um, good. Yeah, people should look into that. But then on August 16th, uh, Marit Stiles asked the Integrity Commissioner to consider the Auditor General's findings that the political staffer involved was using personal email accounts and then deleting those emails. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and as we know from Hillary Clinton's scandal and Donald Trump, deleting those emails, never a good thing. It does They're not, not end actually well. gone. Yeah. <laughs> 
The Integrity Commissioner, as we all know, was sure busy. And on August 22nd, we learned that Imado, the chief of staff, resigned. Yes, but that was just the beginning <laughs> of our resignations because it didn't stop there. Um, so on August 23rd, so the next day, the OPP then referred the Greenbelt matter to the RCMP as there was a, quote, perceived conflict of interest. I wonder freaking why. Um, <laughs> and then the RCMP will now be evaluating the information and they will be assessing if they need to launch their own investigation. Yeah, and the week really did discontinue to, to get better from there. For a usually quiet month, August sure had a heck of a lot going on. Um, so, of course, though, on August 25th, Ford commented that he's confident nothing criminal took place over the Greenbelt file, although I don't know how many of us can believe that. And on August 29th, First Nation chiefs across Ontario called on Ford to return the Greenbelt land. They were ne also never consulted, and they were ne and they were angry that the land swap move involves several of their territories and also violates the William Treaties, which were settled in 2018 with the provincial and federal governments. That when I heard that part, I just like I felt so enraged. Mm -hmm. I'm like, because of course he wouldn't, like, of course he wouldn't. You know, he's got this these treaties that are settled and ready to go, and then he's like, I'm gonna violate it. I just finished mm -hmm. it at the end of a campaign in 2018, but I'm gonna go against it anyways. Anywho, uh, then a few days later on August 30th. We finally heard from the integrity commissioner, whose name is J. David Wake. Uh, his report found that, quote, Clark violated two sections of the Members Integrity Act and recommended to the Ontario legislature that the minister be reprimanded. Wake found that the process of selecting lands to be removed from the Greenbelt was marked unnecessary hast hastiness and deception. He also found that Amateo was the driving force behind the process and that Clark was unaware, although he should have known what his chief of staff was up to on such a sensitive topic. And so that report sparked so like renewed calls from the opposition that Clark now resigned. Mm -hmm. And of course, August couldn't end without a, another comment from Ford. So August 31st, nope. he backs Clark because of course he does, saying he's got a tough job. And if he has such a tough job, then I question, well, then why, you know, why does he want that job? Like, either way, like, you got to do your job. Um, and then in another news conference, Ford apologizes for his role in the controversy, pledges to do better. However, says he doesn't know the specifics. So, like, do we think this is an honest apology? Mm, probably not. <laughs> he just has to have the last word. Yeah. But on Labor Day, we received some more news on, on September 4th, which was Labor Day this year. Steve Clark resigned. Um, he is still going to be the MPP for Leeds, Grenville, Thousand Islands, and Rideau Lakes. He also posted his resignation all over social media. He said the reasoning behind this was, quote, the housing crisis demands leadership from someone who won't be a distraction. He also, end quote, he also says, he needs to take accountability for his actions. When we saw Ford shuffle his cabinet and Paul Calandra is appointed as the new Minister of Affairs and Housing. So then uh, the timeline that Global provided us with, which is the one that we were kind of using, um, I did research, like we did research some more as well, but like, yeah. that, like I said, we were pretty much going off of that one because it was super fantastic. Um, so it ended September 5th. Uh, Ford announced that a review of all of the Greenbelt lands will continue. Uh, Paul Calandra will lead the review with an independent facilitator who will work with landowners and developers that were removed from the Greenbelt last year. Uh, development on the lands will continue because, of course. However, Ford said he, quote, won't hesitate to return those lands to the Greenbelt if they are not merited. But we have... An announcement. And I'm sure my like your ears are like, oh my god, we're on fire because Brittany just screamed into her microphone. <laughs> we have an announcement. Yeah, so just before we reveal that news, um, there's so much more that keeps coming out in the days past, but just want to highlight, particularly as we discuss the Greenbelt scandal, uh, that it's important that we protect the Greenbelt. It provides it important resources that keep our air clean and our water clean, it reduces flood risk, and it provides a home for wildlife. It's also an important green space for us that we can enjoy and explore. It's made up of 
seven um seven hundred and twenty one thousand acres of wetland, greenlands, and protected forests, and seventy eight at risk species that live in the greenbelt. Not to mention all the agriculture that is included in the greenbelt, so we could get local and fresh Ontario food. Yeah, I think it's important to know exactly what we're fighting for and what's mm-hmm. at stake here, mm-hmm. but. So just this just in, as Brittany said, and I, I wish we had the, you know, the breaking news, like, dun, 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 you know, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the noises <laughs> or sound. Uh, so right before we started recording this, we found out that Premier Doug Ford said he will be reversing his government's decision to open the Greenbelt to developers. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So counter pressure works. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, like we have a huge, like, like, thank you, Merritt Styles, because if she never would have inserted the whole um, mm-hmm. probing into this, then this would have probably never happened. And, and Ford made this announcement just now. Um, so Thursday, September 21st, at a news conference in Niagara Falls, so he's near near you, Brittany, where his <laughs> would have been there has gathered for a party retreat. Um, well. He did the reasoning was he said they moved too quickly and lost the trust of people because he had originally said they wouldn't open up the green belt. So this is proof that organizing against the government works. And I also just want to say there is still an RCMP investigation happening. Yeah. Oh yes, because even though he's reversed his decision, those are still going to go on. Yep. Yeah. Oh, it's so exciting. Anyways, um, so I'm still processing all of this. Like, it's fantastic. I can't wait to see what the RCMP investigation says. And I mean, I, I just, it's kind of nice to have these little wins too, though. You know, yes. I thought that this was a little win. This is a huge win. But it's just, you know, sometimes when you're an activist, you feel like you're like fighting against this like massive brick wall all of the time. And, and it chips away and chips away and chips away, but, you know, it doesn't always, can't always break through. So it's kind of nice when we have these breakthroughs. It really, uh-huh. for me uh-huh. per- personally, like it real, really like reignites that fire as to why you kind of keep going in activism. Uh-huh. Um, so I've lived in Ontario, mainly the Niagara yeah. region. I was going to say, speaking like, of fire, speaking of fire, sorry, go on, Brittany, sorry. Sorry. So I've lived in like mainly the Niagara region for like my entire life. So 34 years. And I don't recall I've ever having seen like wildfire smoke come out uh, or come our way at all. Like sometimes in the morning you can smell like if a neighbor had like a campfire, but that was about it. Um, I'm asthmatic. And this summer with like the crazy amounts of wildfire smoke that were coming our way, there were days that I thought I'd have to use my inhaler. Um, I also have allergies and there were days that I'd have like a super sore throat and I didn't spend a lot of time outside. I was just like running to my car and back. So it was like mm-hmm. the wildfires mm-hmm. were, the smoke was, was wild. Yeah. I mean, growing up in Michigan, it wasn't, the smoke was like exactly like you said, Brittany. And now this, this like your Michigan was getting smoke from, you know, all over the place. And yeah, people can, especially if you were, if there were reasons why, you know, you were, you'd be worried being exposed or children with developing lungs, like they can't play outside. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, it makes it harder for people who also have respiratory health issues as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, I felt so sad because, like, my agency put out, like, a notice saying, like, you know, keep the clients inside, like, you know, for mm-hmm. their like air, mm-hmm. like, for their health. Like, it's best to keep them inside as much as we want them to be outside and enjoying the fresh air. It's It's not safe for them right now. And I just, I feel like with the smoke from the wildfires that came our way, it was kind of a wake up call. Um, I kind of feel like people were talking about the climate crisis before, but it wasn't discussed by everyone until that happened because everyone was affected. Yeah, totally. Like I grew up and I live in Toronto and forest fires is not something we experience. Mm-hmm. And just even the result of the forest fires happening across Canada and we being privy to the wildfire smoke. It was kind of sad because around the summertime, children couldn't go outside for recess if they're in summer school or day camp or, um, yeah, and, you know, play outside. And many outdoor city workers were also asked to wear PPE and often not be able to get it uh, because employers were not prepared for this. Not to mention all workplaces and homes did not have central air and had to keep windows open for airflow due to heat. So it was really a struggle for folks during this mm-hmm. time. Yeah, and I think I tweeted around the time too. Um, there was a, a um, nurse in Toronto that does public health and also said, you know, don't forget about the folks that don't have homes and how they're being mm-hmm. constantly impacted by this too. Um, impacted the worst. So yeah, it's just really scratching the surface of the issue. And on July 17th, 
um, the QP Ontario Climate Justice and Health and Safety Committees put out a joint statement called Connecting Air Quality, Health and Safety at Work and the Climate Emergency. We'll link the document in the show notes. It's five pages long, but it's really full of information on how wildfire smoke is an occupational hazard, what rights employers have, the duty to accommodate, how to use the air quality index, and information on the right to refuse work that ultimately endangers health and safety. So lots of helpful tips and information. And I just want to give a personal shout out to the work that Brittany and uh, the Health and Safety Committee and the staff assigned to the committee did in such a quick turnaround time to get that information out there. Um, It was really cool to see that happen. Mm -hmm. And just to let our listeners know that QP National also put out a statement about wildfires with a fact sheet on August 18th. It is very similar to the one that was put out by QP Ontario and includes many topics um, Tiffany was talking about earlier in this episode. We'll also link it in our show notes. The frustrating thing is that these wildfires will really continue to happen and only get worse as climate change is not controlled. Maybe there is some hope that folks all over Canada uh, were so affected that we will see it be taken more seriously now. Yeah, I I hope so. And and thank you, Tiffany. But you also like being on like the Climate Justice Committee and that that group too, like I think all of the committees had a role to play. And I think that everyone did and the staff assigned, of course, like everyone had an important role. And I was glad we got it out as quick as we did. And I think you and I were talking once and you had mentioned that and this might have been like around the time that we were working on this statement. Um, I think you mentioned that because these fires were happening so much more and spreading so much faster and they're in places we haven't seen before, that employers were behind in getting the proper protections because we just didn't have them made or they like weren't easily accessible and we'll constantly be behind like if this isn't dealt with seriously. I don't even know if you remember that conversation. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, and this isn't just like, this is like backed by scientific research, like multiple studies have found that um, these, these, okay. So some people say these fires are started by arsonists, which, you know, yeah, some fires are for sure. Some, and some of it's like, you know, how do, where do they start? They start somewhere, but, but what the part where climate change comes in is the increasing amount of fires. um, And, and, you know, the fact that there's longer dry seasons and warmer springs and drier soil that makes the fire spread more. So maybe we would have had the same amount of fires in the past, but they're easier to, they were easier to control because of um, we had, we had shorter summers and that kind of thing and, or, Mm. or cool, or it got cooler. It wasn't so hot. So, I mean, that's a really like, like watered down way, but, but what they're looking at is that this is just going to be happening more and more in places that it doesn't normally happen. Um, we saw it happen in Maui where it devastated a whole city and yeah. it can come on really fast. Um, we saw it happen in places in Canada where cities were evacuated, right? That they weren't expecting it. And if it happens, you know, all at once and at the same time, other parts of Canada are getting hit by, let's say, a hurricane and then other things are happening, the government it will have a very difficult time responding. And that's what climate justice folks are worried about in the future is what happens when we don't have the resources to uh, to tackle all these issues at once. Will there be a complete breakdown in society? Like what will happen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So moving on throughout this episode, we have shared tons of information about climate change, especially what's happening um, within Ontario, across Canada. But I think now we should shift gears and it's time to talk about what we can do individually and collectively to save this beautiful planet as ours. We're just going to list a couple of ideas and suggestions. I'm sure I know there is a lot more we can do and a lot more we can talk about. Um, But there are several things that we're going to just give to our listeners today that they could do to take that first step or if they already are advocates for climate justice, maybe that next step. Yeah, so uh, we can start with the Good Green Jobs e-action, which is led by the Climate Emergency Unit with uh, Bashar Agshar. The Good Green Jobs e-action is a movement calling for good green jobs for workers across Canada. And through this movement, they are demanding the creation of the National Youth Climate Corps and the implementation of the Climate Emergency Just Transition Transfer. Yeah, and actually, I didn't even think about adding this to our notes, but um, Joe Biden announced literally yesterday <laughs> that they created the Climate Corps in the States. So oh, the United cool. States just announced the creation. So it's like the first step in the Green New Deal. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, for our listeners, we'll get back to the Good Green Jobs e-action, though, and break down the campaign for you. So starting with the Youth um, Climate Corps, according to the Good Green Jobs website, the Youth Climate Corps is a federally funded job training and placement program that would offer a good green job to any young person who wants it. And so this literally just passed in the United States yesterday, and we want one in Canada. So it, it's aimed at, to provide jobs to workers under 35 that are focused on combating climate change. The Climate Emergency Just Transition Transfer as an annual money transfer from the federal government to lower levels of, of um, they would give, the federal government would get the money to lower levels of government. And the Just Transition Transfer is how the government would pay um, for all of this, like a just transition to happen from, and, and to get to transition away from an economy dependent on fossil fuels. So you often hear, okay, great, we have to save the planet, but how are we going to pay for it? This group, um, if you look at the Good Green Jobs e-action campaign, it, it breaks it down too. Yeah, so thanks, Tiffany, for breaking that down for our listeners. So if you are 35 years old and under, or you know someone who fits into that age group and would be interested in supporting Good Green Jobs for All, you could write a letter um, to the federal government. They already have a letter drafted. All you have to do is um, punch in your information and it will pre-populate all the information for you. You could also sign up to become a volunteer. To learn more about the Good Green Jobs e-action and to get involved with the campaign, you could visit goodgreenjobsforall.ca. We'll add a link to our show notes. I, I really hope that this can reach many young workers and really empower them to support the cause. Um, and since Good Green Jobs is targeted at young workers, um, let's share some other ways folks can take action to combat climate change. Absolutely. While I was preparing for this episode, I was looking for resources that we could provide our listeners with quick, easy tips to combat climate change. And I came across this article from David Suzuki Foundation. Um, the article is called Top 10 Things You Could Do About Climate Change. So as the title suggested, the article provides 10 ways readers can tackle climate change. We only have time to highlight a few points today, but I recommend our readers to check out the article. It's a quick read, but if you're interested in learning more, there are a ton of additional resources and links that are provided in that article. Let's get started. How about each of us highlight one tip from the article? Sounds good. So the first tip I will share from the article is green your commute. Find ways to reduce your carbon footprint through transportation. And of course, I understand that not, depending on where you live, this might not yeah. be an option for you because there might not yeah. be transit. But uh, if you do have transit, instead of driving, maybe you could take transit or ride your bike or ride share. Um, some of our listeners um, and keeping members are students. So you could, you know, maybe take transit to school um, or maybe... You know, some schools provide discounted transit passes for students or incorporate the cost of transit passes in the tuition. My own employer actually want, encourages us to take public transit, and it's in our collective agreement that oh. our transit passes are paid by our employer. Oh, oh, that's yeah. cool. So you can bargain these things, folks. Yes. That's and such just, a good idea. Yeah. And just mm. on the note of Green Your Commute, like in Toronto, we're solely getting to the gear of, you know, hockey season and basketball season. And I know a lot of folks from out of town or not from Toronto, even within Toronto, all come in to watch them play, watch the Toronto Maple Leafs and Toronto Raptors play. And a great way is to take transit to go see mm -hmm. those games instead of, you know, driving into the downtown core and being stuck in the traffic and then having to pay yeah. X amount of money for parking. It's just easier to take transit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's what I do. So like whenever I'm coming into Toronto, like unless I'm there for like a few days um, and I like have to bring a suitcase kind of deal. Um, if I'm only there for like a day or even like overnight one night, I take, I'll drive to Burlington because that's the closest go train station for me. And then I'll take the go train station, go train into union station. Um, so I try to cut it down there too. Um, and so the tip that I, I want to highlight is to consume less, waste less, and enjoy more. So for this point, the article focus, uh, highlights on focusing on life's simple pleasures. So things like spending time in nature, being with loved ones, um, making a difference to others instead of buying and consuming. Um, so ways to produce less emissions include sharing, making things, fixing, upcycling, repurposing, and uh, composting. And like one thing that I like to do that kind of fits into this is thrifting. So instead of buying brand new, I often go to thrift stores and I try and find stuff from there first. Mm. Um, or like, you know, I, I sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll hold on to clothes for a while because I'll see like, can I make this work? 
uh, this season or next season. So I don't have to keep buying new all the time. Mm-hmm. So that's a great a tip. There. Yeah, that's a great tip to share, Brittany. And the tip I will share um, is, and this is something I could do personally to reduce my carbon footprint, is eat for a climate stable um, climate. So <laughs> this means, you know, include eating more meat free meat free meals buying organic and local whenever possible, not wasting food and growing your own crops. This is not only good for the environment, but it's also good for your health and your pockets. Um, We only listed three tips from this article, but if you want to read the rest of the article, you can check it out in the link, which we'll add to our show notes. Yeah. And, and we've mentioned this before. We know like we can all personally do this as individuals, but really it's the governments and the corporations that, that you know are going to have to make big changes like we can't recycle our way out of this unfortunately i wish we could but it is good to everyone everyone to it's you know everyone working together and beyond the individual's responsibility we have a duty as a collective to ensure that our organizations and unions are doing their part to help reduce the emissions they produce many of these actions are highlighted as we talked about in the climate justice committee's toolkit we referenced earlier but um we did say we'd go into a bit more detail about a few Uh, An action to help tackle climate change is to start a green team or climate justice committee at your workplace or locals. It's a great way to keep the conversation going about climate change in these spaces and how we can create a more green friendly environment. And what some people do also is they just um, tackle it on actually to their joint health and safety committees and they call it like joint health and safety and green committees or something like that. Oh, that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. Um, So the next action that unions can do to address climate change is to incorporate language about climate change into their collective agreement and their locals bylaws. And there is a really great article on QP National's website called Bargaining Language for a Greener Workplace. So it provides an overview of how locals address environmental issues through their collective agreements. The article also provides examples of how different QP locals could use it in their collective agreement. So one example to highlight is QP Local 402. So in the article, it says that QP Local 402, which is the city of Surrey, they negotiated language where the employer pays up to 30% of the cost of transit passes to encourage workers to travel to and from work by public transit. Mm -hmm. Um, So similar to what Tiffany said. Um, And in their most recent collective agreement, the language is still there. And it includes that the passes are a taxable benefit and they are in addition to other discount programs offered by TransLink. Hmm. Yeah, I really like that. That sounds like a really great idea. And, you know, it encourages workers to not drive everywhere just to take transit when necessary. Um, And another action I would like to highlight is, you know, that unions and locals should consider um, becoming an ally. And what could this look like? Uh, This could be supporting QP campaigns and equity-deserving organizations that are combating climate change and standing against um, environmental racism. So we mentioned this earlier, um, and we just want to reinforce some of the campaigns. Mm-hmm. So QP, on, mm-hmm. um, QP National Water is Life campaign is one you can support. We also mentioned earlier the work that's done by the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists, um, but they are currently partnering with a number of organizations to host workshops in the GTA, which is particularly educating the Black community about how they can protect themselves from climate change. I will add a link to their Facebook page in the show notes, which promote the events. So if you are in the GTA and you find this interesting, you should definitely go out and support. Absolutely. Um, We have one more action for folks, and I kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but make sure you get your joint health and safety committees involved in the discussion and solutions. Climate change is also a health and safety issue. So your joint health and safety committees can identify and address many workplace issues related to climate change. Workers on the joint health and safety committees can help advocate and negotiate for better products and workplace policies and procedures that can help have less of an impact on our ecosystems and keep you safe at work. Yeah, and I uh, I just want to take a quick second uh, to add that the QP Ontario's health and safety committees are having a virtual forum. We have one on October the 1st and one on October the 4th. Um, so, you know, we know people work different shifts at different times. So we thought well, we'll have we'll have two. They're, they're the same topics. They're just two different days. So more people can go to them, uh, we hope. Um, and so this will promote and review resources available to workers in various sectors. 
Um, so this is a way for us to really come together and discuss any existing or potential resources that you need. And if you check out QP Ontario's website or social media, you can find the registration there. Um, I think the one on October the 1st is at 1030 and the one on October the 4th is at 7 p.m. So like I said, two different days, two different times, same subject matter. So you don't have to make it to both. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, so I hope everyone is able to show up, um, show up um, and it should be a really great conversation about health and safety. Workers know that the collective action can make big changes. In 2021, we saw a very successful strike by 22,000 QP members in New Brunswick, where frontline public sector workers stood together and won against a hostile government. In 2022, after a year of deep organizing, unlike anything we've seen among labor unions in decades. Yeah, and uh, the Ontario School Board Council of Union built a militant movement, one conversation at a time. Um, this approach turned workers into militant, active organizers, transforming the union into a political force that could take on a majority conservative government that everyone thought was unbeatable. Uh, so they beat Doug Ford, 55,000 mm -hmm. members strong, and we can and we must learn from these examples of deep organizing tactics to tackle the climate emergency. Yeah, absolutely. Um, at some point, if things keep going the way they are, I think that that's going to be our only um, option is uh, mm -hmm. shutting, shutting things down. So remember, yeah. there are no jobs on a dead planet, but there is hope for a brighter future. Let's work together, fight for climate justice and build a world where both workers and our planet can thrive. Well, there you have it, listeners. Um, it's quite a long episode, a lot of information, <laughs> but I hope that this information you'll find helpful. And I just want to thank you so much for tuning in into episode 29 of CupiCast, Climate Justice is Union Business. We want to take a moment to thank all the CUPE staff, Ontario staff, who are involved in this episode. Without them, this podcast would not exist. If you have future podcast ideas, please email us at info at cupe.on.ca. That's I-N-F-O at C-U-P-E We also want to thank the wonderful Muhammad Akbar for being the edit master. This podcast would not sound as great as it does without his talents. Totally, totally. Thank you for making us always sound so good, Muhammad. <laughs> and so um, this podcast was written, produced and researched by us. So Brianna, myself and Tiffany. And uh, in a few weeks, if you see Tiffany and I at QP National Convention, make sure to say hi. We love to say uh, to meet listeners and and have chats with all of you. It, it really is so wonderful. So if you see us, say hello, because we'll both be there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Give us ideas for future podcasts. Yes, um, definitely. But before we close out, we also want to thank all our incredible listeners for tuning into this episode of the QP cast. Please continue to look for us anywhere you stream or download podcasts, which could include Spotify, Apple podcasts, anchor, or on the QP Ontario website. Also, you can follow or subscribe to the QP cast. And if you are a listener, feel free to write us a review or drop us a message and let us know what you thought about the episode or share the link with your friends or fellow members in your local, uh, wherever you live or with your local. Our show notes have lots of information. You could also share with your friends or, you know, if you're traveling to the QP National Convention, maybe you want to listen <laughs> to this podcast on the way and, and listen to it. So, Download and go. Yeah, there we go. Yes. Thanks for listening, everyone. Sending solidarity. Mm -hmm.